It's episode 199 of Crack the Customer Code. And we're only one episode away from getting our AARP card. Let's talk social businesses. Those organizations that dedicate some of their profits or resources to a bigger cause. These value-based companies connect with customers way beyond their products and services. They align with how their customers feel about their greater mission in the world. All right. It's a big topic, and we have a big show today. So first of all, we've got a two-peat here. Not a three-peat, but a two-peat and one of our only ones, and that is Graham Newell. He is back on the show, and we are so happy to have him. We are. Graham is here with a brand new book on social enterprise businesses. These aren't just companies that make money, but companies that also do good in the world. Graham's new book, Red Goldfish, came out on February 14th and examined a lot of examples that of companies that do this. He then did a deep dive into their marketing and operations best practices. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. And you know, he wrote it with our, you know, this is not the first time a colored goldfish has appeared <laughs> on the Crack the Customer Code podcast. We had a blue goldfish, uh, and that was mm-hmm. with uh, Stan Phelps and Evan Carroll, and they were on the show. And then uh, Graham co-authored this book with Stan as part of the goldfish series, and it is fantastic because I like the focus. I like how it's really a different uh, sort of lens and sort of topic that I think we address a lot in customer experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really important thing for moving forward. It, it provides some insight into what will matter to customers, not just now, but into the future as well. So this is a great episode. I think everybody's going to really enjoy this interview with Graham. So let's tell everybody about him. All righty. Graham Newell is president of 602 Communications, a marketing research and consulting firm that specializes in emotional connection. Graham and his team of emotional attachment experts show companies how to change complacent customers into passionate groupies. Graham has delivered more than 400 speeches at events in 25 countries around the world. He is known as the example king, my old job. (laughs) And his presentations are loaded with cutting-edge techniques used by the world's most passionate brands. He has compiled an extensive emotional connection video library. Say that three times fast, Jeannie. (laughs) And what's really cool about this is Graham has more than 50,000 examples. He's been working on this for so long, and I've talked to him about it. It's just incredible. And he uses this library to teach leaders how to build deep, lasting friendships with their customers. Now, Graham Newell has done speaking, research, and consulting for corporations across the globe, including GE, Disney, Sony, CBS, Madison Square Garden, Comcast, and Universal Studios. Graham lives in Portland, Oregon with his wife, Annette. Welcome back, Graham. Good to be here. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys having me on today. Well, you are in the small but mighty repeat guest club on Crack the Customer Code. So I'm on. <laughs> we are very happy that you're here. And, you know, jumping right in, this is so interesting because this entire topic, I think, is something that it's relatively new, but we're talking a lot about it in recent past. And that's really this idea of being a socially aware business. And so first, let's start with some basics here. So what is social entrepreneurship? 
Well, Jeannie, most companies really do a good job of doing some sort of public service or, you know, some sort of campaign that, you know, really reaches out to the community in some way. But there are some companies that are taking it to the next level. What they want to do is to build a business model that takes that purpose as really its foundation. What's really motivating this is something that we're seeing from the good old folks in the millennial generation. These people don't just want companies that produce good stuff. They want companies that stand for something with purpose. So, for example, in the Super Bowl, we saw a lot of ads where companies didn't just say, hey, I've got a great product. They talked about what they really stood for. We saw car companies that that stood for women's rights. We saw beer ads that stood for immigration. We saw all kinds of different companies now. And this is a direct reaction to millennials. They want to stand and buy with companies that have strong purposes. You can get so many great products now. Any product can come out, and in any category, there's eight or nine different products that you could buy. So with this commonality of products, now the next generation, the millennials, what they want to know is, what do you stand for? What are the values? They want to be with companies that match their own values and their own priorities. I like that you called them the good old people of the millennial generation. <laughs> Maybe the good young the good people. Young people? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just so heartened by, by by the millennial generation just, you know, stepping up mm-hmm. and you know, they're they're a wonderfully, you know, conscious group of people and I I've just loved working with them. No, absolutely. And one thing I noticed out of the examples you sort of just gave us was the risk. And do you feel there's any risk to taking the stronger stands? I mean, some things are more sort of acceptable across the board, but if the mission or the social purpose is, you know, say a little more controversial, is there an element there sure of risk is. to that? And you've got to make sure that the mission that you pick is something that your core constituency really believes in, in their heart. So this is not something to, to take lightly. It's got to be something that matches not only what customers believe, but it's also got to be something intrinsic to your own culture. Because you can't fake this. If you try to show up and say, yeah, we're this, you know, great cause and your company culture does not support it, they'll find you out and they will call you out on social media. <laughs> So this has got to be something that truly starts in the boardroom and has got to be, hey, my company truly believes this. It's why as we were doing the research for this book, we researched more than 250 companies. We found that the people that had the easiest time doing this were people that usually had a great founder story, a founder that really began with the idea of like, I want to make a difference in the world and I want to do that through business. So that was one of the you know the greatest things was these were the amazing stories of these people that started with a passion and then built an entire company around it. And so, you know, speaking of boardrooms and founders, anybody who starts or runs a business has to make money. (laughs) That's part of the deal. And so how does social entrepreneurship actually make money from a business perspective? It seems kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You know, for most of, of the, the time, what we found is that people tend to approach this and they basically go, well, you know, it's kind of community service, it's charity, this is just going to be money off my bottom line. And what you'll see is that folks are kind of oftentimes just sort of checking the box under corporate social responsibility. You know, they'll they'll give to the Coleman Foundation or maybe they'll, you know, they'll have some sort of donation that, that they'll do. But those missions are really not intrinsic to what the company really believes. So what was 
is wonderful is Harvard did an amazing study where they looked at these socially conscious business and just looked at their financial viability. What they found is they were remarkably more profitable. And it's, it's not surprising. You know, those brands that we love, Starbucks, Nike, Twitter, Airbnb, you know, CarMax, all of these different companies that, that we studied, you don't just want to buy stuff from them, you like them. And you are loyal to them because they've shown their values. And this is intrinsic to you know us in evolutionary times. We trust people who, who show what they believe. And this is what everyone's demanding of brands these days. Sure, you make great stuff, but so do nine other people. I want to see what you stand for. And that trust gets built right in. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Jeannie and I have talked about this before. There's sort of this... Um you know, charity fatigue, we've called it, or you know, this cause fatigue when it's not central to the mission, different than what you're talking about, the people that do the 5Ks once in a while and the companies that just, you know, have one day a year. And it seems like, I don't, I don't want to say, those are good things. I don't want to say that customers are seeing through it. I just don't think they make an impact. And it sounds like you know, what you're saying is this really does make an impact on people, this, uh, you know, making it part of the core mission. So are traditional charities... How are they sort of interacting with companies that are doing this? How is it affecting them? Oh, the, the traditional charities are, are such a great opportunity to step into this model because what we're doing is we're blurring the line between the not-for-profit and the profit. So what happens is is that profit businesses now take on a business model that really does good stuff in the world. But conversely, charities will also now get a revenue model. When you look at the way most charities work and most nonprofits work, it's simply a lot of begging from people. Hi, you're rich. Please give me a lot of money. <laughs> Man, that is just a terrible re revenue model. Yet you look at some of these companies that are doing this in innovative ways. One of my favorite that we found in of the 250 brands was AARP. You know, they have a revenue model. They're selling insurance. They, they, are, they are, have, you know, they have training. They have all these different wonderful things. And imagine how much more good could be done in the world if charities you know invented this kind of business model one of my favorite that we saw was a company called hot bread kitchen out of new york city now what they are doing is they basically started a business with a mission to empower immigrant women this is a a, a bakery in new york and a lot of immigrant women were, were coming and were were really you know not interacting with the community were kind of staying in their homes all the time so they started a bakery and what they do with this bakery is they hire immigrant women to come in they they don't just give them a job. They teach them to be bakers is what they do. They give, they give them English classes. They, they give them business training. And they show them how to be not just you know great bakers, but how to run, run great businesses. And what they're doing is they're farming all these people out to work in restaurants throughout New York City. So they are in the business. Their foundation, their model starts with, I'm going to empower immigrant women to have new lives. And what's amazing is all these businesses are lining up to be with them. You look at JetBlue and all these other partners are like, we love you and we want to be a part of your business because they're so thrilled by this. And not only do they help immigrant women who are just starting out, but they also have nine kitchens that they use, test kitchens, that they invite entrepreneurial women to come in and say, come test your new product. So this, this company makes money and it does a really good job of making money. And the reason is people will show up and go, I love this bread. It's fantastic. That's got to be there. But they go, they're doing such awesome work. This is my company, and I want to buy my baked goods from them. So 
this this has the added benefit of not just being lip service, but being something that truly changes people's lives. And what a wonderful thing to go to work e- each day and do that. Now, well, that's that's funny you say that because there's a smaller operation here where I live in Oak Park, Illinois, called Felony Franks, and the owner hires all former convicts, former incarcerated people, and teaches them these skills and gets them to really understand what it's like to show up every day for a job and, you know, be responsible. And he sees his mission as sending them off into better things. So they start by making hot dogs for people. And then he he really sees his mission as sending them out into the world as a, a better member of society. And one of the things that strikes me as you're sharing those examples and thinking about how we have an affinity for them because we really like his mission. Um, How much is storytelling a part of this? How much is it, you know, to tell that story of the good that an organization is doing? It's so much of it because what these businesses have are these incredible rich cultures and heritages of doing these amazingly great things, whether it's a founder story, whether it's a group of employees in-house who came together. And it really empowers everybody. This story becomes something that customers see and say, I want to buy, that employees see and say, I want to work for this company, that investors see and and say, this is a company that's in it for the long haul, that is truly going to be amazing. So all the constituents, vendors say, I want to work with these guys. You look at Whole Foods, they've had a win policy of making sure their vendors win. And they've done an amazing job of really helping to bring everybody in and get them all on the same page. When you could line up around purpose as opposed to line up around make me money, it ends up being something that does make money and it makes a lot more money. So it's tough for so many businesses now to see this and to trust that if I can find this purpose in my business, all my constituents are going to be empowered. But it's about really beginning in the boardroom and and saying, what is my mission for my product? And what we find is most companies are not really good about this. They go, I've got the bottom line, I've got the next quarter, and that's really all they do. But how many people are coming to work every day and going like, wow, I want to make my company's stock market, you know, estimate this quarter you know no, nobody's coming to work and doing that but when they can come to work at companies like Patagonia at Lego at companies like Gore at REI those employees walk through the door and they go I am on a mission from God here every day <laughs> and that makes for empowered everybody so it's just smart business mm-hmm. well I like that so let's Talk about what would the essential ingredients be? I, th- I think I took away from one of your earlier comments that the product can't suck. Doesn't matter if you have a good mission; <laughs> it's still got you've still got to deliver a good product or service. So, are there any other sort of ingredients that are needed, either on the, you know, just the sort of organizational side or on the mission itself? Are there certain characteristics it should have? Uh, that you're, have you found anything common among the companies that have been successful with this? We really have. And you're right, Adam. It's got to be something where you start with a good product. You don't have a good product, you're not in the game. And you're not, I don't care how wonderful your mission is, I'm not buying you. 
So you got to make sure that, that that quality assurance is is really there. So we've probably got a lot of your listeners that, that are working for Gigantacorp. And, you know, there's just it's all about the next quarter is really what it's all about. And I think, how do I even begin this process? What exactly can, can I do? Well, the companies that do well with this really begin usually by doing some sort of charity mission. And what they're going to do is try to find charities that match what their organization's about. So it really begins with looking at your own purpose of what you think that might be. It starts with examining your your product. What are the benefits that your product brings to your constituency? Sure, we know that sales numbers are good, but how is your product empowered? Starbucks, you know, brings together communities and sees itself as as a community builder. All of these different companies like Birkenstock. Birkenstock is about foot health and they want to make sure that people have great postures and, and stay healthy there. Netflix wants to empower young producers and bring new entertainment options to everyone. Each one of these companies began with their business model and looked at the benefit downstream of what it meant for the customers. Not just did they buy it, but how exactly did it empower their lives and made their communities better, helped certain constituencies. It's really all about identifying what your product does in in the world and then stepping deeper inside of that. Once you understand that, you're going to be able to hold your head up high and say, I'm doing good for the world. I'm not just making widgets. Widgets? Well, how about widgets with purpose? No. (laughs) Can you brand that? You can brand anything, Graham, right? I like that. (laughs) So, So, Graham, I'm curious, like, what do you recommend for those leaders who are listening right now who are thinking, you know, it's time we did this. We we maybe haven't had that North Star of a purpose up until this point, but I want to do this now. How can I go about finding an authentic purpose for my business? Well, Jeannie, the first and probably the most important thing is to buy my book. No, I'm yes, kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, our, our book, Red Goldfish, lays out the kind of eight different ways that businesses typically do this. And and what we go through is just many, many case studies of, of, of best ways to make that happen. But let me see if I, if I can boil it down to its essentials. So what it, what it really begins with is seeing if you can get in touch with, with your management just to sit down and talk about the purpose of, of what your business is. Then once you've gotten that leadership team together, because you must have the leadership team in in order to make this work, then talk about ways that that can be implemented on a small level. It might be working with other partners that are in your community that have that that same mission. But you can dip your toe in the water really carefully, try some of these things, and see if it really begins to take off. Are employees getting empowered? Are customers noticing what, what you're doing? Once you've done that, you can then move on to bigger steps. Now, as we go go through the book, it, it really started with kind of basic things, which there are categories like the protector, where we keep customers and you know companies safe. And it went all the way up to what we call the masters. And those are companies that started a business with a purpose and then looked around and said, what product am I going to sell that will empower that that purpose? Now, most of us are, are not there, but we can begin by having this conversation and then looking for like-minded people in the community who can be partners with us. 
look for an opportunity to bring people in who share that purpose. We saw so many great examples of wonderful collaborators. All these businesses that came together from so many different sectors. We, we saw people from you know hardware and software and people in you know employment, but they were all brought together by this shared passion of a mission that they had. For, so for example, one of the mentioned when I mentioned earlier was Hot Bread Kitchen and JetBlue. How do you get a bakery and an airline together? Well, how you do it is with a shared purpose. That sounds like the setup to like a Henny Youngman joke. How do you get a airline and a bread? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, Graham, this has been fantastic. And I know the book launched back on Valentine's Day. So why don't you tell our listeners uh, one where they can find the book and also where they can find out more about all the fantastic work you do. We haven't even touched on that. And Graham, just to let everybody know, Graham does some amazing work in marketing and all sorts of uh, verticals. Adam, king, thank of, you. king of examples. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've, uh, we've, we, we've collected um, over thirty five hundred examples of all of these different brands, all these videos that you can sit and watch. So this is in the Red Goldfish Resource Library, and you can find that at six zero two communications dot com. That's the numbers six zero two communications dot com. And also, my co author Stan Phelps. You can check out his website at Purple goldfish.com. The book is out now on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search Red Goldfish. We uh, we have the print edition. We also have a Kindle edition, and we're working on an audio book right now, which should be out in a few weeks. Oh, great. How exciting. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Graham. As a, uh, a repeat guest, of course, that's something, you know, we, we only have the best on anyway. But you know, to be here twice, that means we, we like you doubly as much. <laughs> uh, Adam and Jeannie, thank you so much. Working on this book was just a treat because I got such an amazing opportunity to just study these incredible businesses who were changing the world through capitalism. And it just gives you such amazing hope about the future of business. It was really wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great way to end and wrap up. And thank you so much and good luck with the book and everything else. And thanks for being here with us today. Thanks so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code, a proud member of the C-Suite Radio family. If you like C-Suite Radio, then check out C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews with business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs. And it's all on demand. Get insider secrets by going to csuitetv.com. We appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our customer experience investigation consulting at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Deporek, and you can learn more about me and our customer service workshops and training at customersetstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.